Every Thursday, we do a program called Community Stories, and we invite someone from the community in to talk about things in the Mankato area, interesting things they're doing or interesting things about the community. And I've got a great guest today. It is Arn Kind, and many of you know him as a Civil War reenactor, and he's here today to talk about something uh, coming up. It's a Civil War symposium called The Coming Fury. So I want to welcome today, welcome Arn Kind. Hi, Karen. Nice to be here. Great to see you here, Arn. And Arn, are you a native Mankato guy, or you're from out of the area? Um, I was born in Maryland because my father was in the hosp- uh, in the uh, Navy at the time, and that was a naval base. And so uh, I, w- I was born there, but lived my early years in Ellsworth, Wisconsin, Red Wing area along the Mississippi River there. And then when I was 10 years old, fourth grade, we moved to Mankato, and I lived in Mankato ever since then. So most of my life, yeah, I'm a, I'm a native Mankato. Did you ever serve? In the service at all? I did not. I was uh, 18 years old in 1971, and my draft number was uh, 36, and I went up and got my physical. I I was all ready to go. I thought for sure that uh, I was going to be going, getting my affairs in order, and then... um, most people don't say God bless Richard Nixon, but I say God bless Richard Nixon because he uh, he said, we're not going to take any more boys. We're not drafting anymore. And so I got a letter saying I wasn't going to be needed. And, but I felt enormous guilt about that for a long time. And one of the presentations I do is uh, Minnesota and the Vietnam War. And I've had a lot of veterans at the Vietnam War sitting in front of me. And uh, I apologize to them right off the bat <laughs> because they went and I didn't. And uh, I was ready to go. I was willing to go, but I didn't have to go. And, and they've made me feel better and said, what are you feeling guilty for if you're ready to go? Did you burn your draft card? No. Did you run to Canada? No. Uh, I said, I was all ready to go. They said, well, stop feeling guilty, you know. But at any rate, no, I never did serve. And this is kind of, I, I feel like this is kind of, I, I do World War One presentations, World War Two presentations, American Civil War, and um, the Korean War. And it's kind of my way by educating the public about uh, the, the different wars and the, and the way our, our men from Minnesota and also from the United States all over the country served in our wars. Uh, it's just kind of a way I'm trying to pay back, uh, you know, that I didn't serve myself. Did you go to college or something to get all this knowledge about all the wars and that sort of thing? Uh, most of, of course, I, I'm an MSU uh, graduate. Oh, okay. Yep, absolutely. But I was uh, elementary education was my major, so I've been teaching elementary school for most of my uh, career. Four years at the secondary level with, with juvenile offenders, and then I went, came to Mankato and taught uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade most of the time, but now I give workshops all over the state and at all different levels. From the, you know, I'll, I'll do the ROTC program here at MSU, and they'll want to hear about the American Revolution one year or the Korean War the next year, or battlefield tactics in the Vietnam War, and so we um, I, I present all over the state to all different age groups right now, and I do libraries, historical societies, schools, high schools, and the only difference is uh, you can't see me smiling on the radio right now, but I haven't corrected a paper or given a <laughs> test in, in, uh, since 2013 when I rec- retired from the classroom. So you did retire. Well, you know, I thought you were a teacher, and that's probably why I was thinking you were a teacher. I didn't yeah. realize you'd retired. But I know you do s- uh, some amazing presentations. I've seen some of them. I think my kids have been a part of them. And it's all about the different wars, the battles, all those sorts of things. Did you get a minor in history, or where did all that interest come I, that from? That was my, uh, what did you, you had to have an, I forget what it was called, an area of concentration. 
administration or something mm-hmm. when you graduate from MSU, and it was history. Okay. But most of my learning has been self-taught, and uh, you know you can only learn so much in a semester, and to learn from a book. And and my presentations, I do a lot of interaction with people and hands-on. I bring a lot of artifacts. People say that I'm the museum that comes and visits their <laughs> library, or I'm the museum that comes and visits their school because I bring a whole lot of stuff. It takes me about two hours to get set up you know, everything that I do set up, and. Um, but uh, and I don't it's not just all wars either I do presentations on the Viking Age I do one on the uh, Minnesota in in the Minnesota's wild and woolly prohibition days and uh, other topics as well the Northfield bank raids a popular one as well and so yep do you do, th- do this on your own or is it a part of an organization or when I first started doing it I was teach still teaching and uh, I f- heard about the first Minnesota volunteer infantry regiment I was going to be uh, I had I taught Minnesota history uh, you know at the sixth grade level and Minnesota's role in the Civil War and one fall there was a advertisement for uh, a movie a miniseries Back at the beginning of miniseries, right after Roots, you know, and it was called uh, The Blue and the Gray. Hmm. And WCCO had a program, and the whole program centered on a local reenactment group, civil reenactment group called the First Minnesota, which traveled down to Arkansas to be a part of that film, to be extras in that film. And I watched that, and I said, wow, that's for me. And instead of just reading about it, you know, what's it like to put on a Civil War uniform? What's it like to, to march? And what's it like to hear the, the, the sounds of, uh, you know, the fifes and the drums? And what's it like to live like a soldier? And I said, I, I'm going to look into this. And I didn't quite look into it right away but I was uh, once I knew I had to teach Minnesota history I spent one summer touring all over Minnesota hitting every Minnesota historic site I could during one summer and I went to the Sibley house the Henry Sibley house in, in Mendota and the tour guide there was a guy by the name of Mo Olson and it's supposed to be a half an hour tour we talked for three hours because I found out that he was uh, a member of the first Minnesota volunteer infantry reenactment group and he got me hooked and I became a member of that in 1982 and uh, I've been to reenactments all over the United States. And, and now that I had the uniform and the equipment, I said, why shouldn't I use this in my classroom? So I decided instead of just teaching from a book, now I'm going to talk about the war as though it's current events and stand there as though I'm a soldier in the Army of the Potomac and the first Minnesota. And that just made it come alive for my kids to see the soldier standing there and to look at his equipment and ask questions about the weapon and all that kind of stuff. And pretty soon I was doing it just not for my classroom. I had other classrooms that wanted me to do it. Then other schools in Mankato wanted me to do it at their school. Then pretty soon I was getting calls from other schools in southern Minnesota. And I went, hey, maybe I could do this, you know. And I, I still do Mankato schools for free um, because this is, you know, I mean, they put up with me for 36 <laughs> years. I figured I owe them something. And so I do American Revolution for all the fifth graders every year. I set up once down at Franklin Elementary School, and all the kids are bused down, a couple of three schools at a day. It takes us about four or five days to do that. And then I do the Minnesota's fur trade, the French Voyagers, for all the sixth grades, and I hit the two middle schools. And then I'm, I keep offering to do the uh, American Civil War now for the seventh or eighth grade. I can't remember what level they do that, but they did it one year, but there's no takers. The problem is there's no auditorium oh, right. at either one of our middle schools, and so they have to take up gym space. And, oh. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I started it, and then I I, uh, I would go away from the school district from time to time, and then I'd pay for my substitute teacher to do that because my kids at you know, my school were my top priority. Right. And they let me leave about seven times during the year, and then once I retired in 2013, 
I mean, I'm not retired at all. I'm still doing this. I'm doing full-time now. I started a, a company called Historical Experiences, and I uh, have a website. It's called historicalexperiences.org, and you can go on that website and see all the different presentations that I do and how you can get in contact with me if you ever want a presentation for your school, your library, your historical society, whatever it is. And uh, it's just a blast. I get to uh, live history. I always dress the part when I do Vietnam War. Well, I'm I've seen in the uniform some of your costumes when you've been out, and I know you all do always do the the history fest at Jack McGowan's was a big one that I've seen you right, you're but doing. You, but Karen, you can't call it a costume. And it's oh, like oh I'm sorry. It's called regalia. Regalia. Regalia, yes. yes. You're in whatever regalia, whatever the period regalia is, um, I okay. put it on. So then you're looking at a person who's from that era, and I try to make it as though that we're t- you know, talking in that era and so on and and uh, get people involved. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And then when I do schools, they have a curriculum, and the curriculum's usually the same every year. So the fifth grades will call me up and say, we're ready for you to do American Revolution in the sixth grade. We're ready to do it for fur trade, or the high school has me come up and do something else. But libraries constantly want new mm-hmm. programs. And so that has really been good for me because they'll say, okay, we already had your Prohibition. We already had your Viking Age. We already had your Vietnam War presentation. What do you got that's new? And I said, well, what do you want? We were thinking something on uh, in a westward expansion or something. Else. Okay, uh, let me look into that. It takes me about, I would say it takes me about a year to put a new presentation together between wow. the research and, and then I, I purchase or gather artifacts, make maps, uh, get the uniform together and equipment and whatever else is going to make it more real for the people that are, are watching the presentation. You know, they come up and they can put their hands on things. They can pick things up and try things on. And and so, uh, yeah, it's a hassle bringing all this stuff to different places. And, and, and especially a librarian, you know, if I start a presentation at 8 and it's a two-hour presentation, it's done at 10. Right. And they'll go, it takes me an hour and a half to two hours to get everything put away. Oh. Well, they want to get home. Right. So then I say, listen, you give me the key to the library <laughs> and show up. me where the lights are and I'll shut everything down and I'll put the key in the drop, you know, the book drop. And uh, they realize I'm not going to steal from them. I want to come back and be invited back again. Don't so, they even help you? Oh, my, well, no, well, my wife, my, my Meg, is, is, uh, I've, been married, my, I've been married to Meg for many years now and she's also a teacher, was a teacher with the Mankato School District and she retired a few years ago. And uh, she helps me out. She'll go with me and travel when we do a tour of northern Minnesota, wherever to be touring. And it'll cut the setup time in half and the takedown time in half. And then what she'll do is she's seen all these presentations, right. you know. So she, instead of taking a nap in the back of the room, she'll get on her bike and ride bike for two hours or, you know, or, or So go she isn't part of the reenactment. That's nothing she wants to do, huh? Uh, no, she's not that, that interested in okay. it, you know. I mean, she has an interest, but not an, crazy enough to get dressed up in okay. uncomfortable, punitive underwear and clothing <laughs> from the 19th century, you know. Sure. So, yeah. No, I appreciate the fact that she just tolerates it, <laughs> let alone, you know, uh, participate. You make uh, a good team then. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Have you had to adjust any of your programs given the, you know, the heightened sense of uh, racism and and war heroes, what's considered a hero, you know, in recent times? And, you know, they look at the statues and what was a hero and now they're tearing them down. Oh, Have you had oh. to adjust in some way be, given that, uh, the, yes. the current climate? Yes, that's that's really, that's been huge. Um, I've gotten in trouble in a couple of places, and uh, one of the things, uh, uh, I was giving a presentation at a uh, small town in southern Minnesota, and I hang flags up. I hang flags up. Uh, you know, when I do World War II, I've got the, all the Allied flags up, and i got the Axis flags up. And, and uh, I was at a fire department. And they had windows all around the top of the building, and I was hanging the flags from the ceiling, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be a nighttime presentation. Oh, so. And so 
I didn't realize it, but I hung a Nazi flag, the Nazi <gasps> Germany's flag, right in front of a window. Oh, no. And so here it is, you know, 10 o'clock at night, and that little town police department's getting all these calls. Is there a neo-Nazi uh, meeting, oh, you know, no. taking place in our fire department, you know? And so I have to be so careful now of flags. And, of course, the Confederate flag, which is actually, you know, the... the, the, uh, the the Confederate flag that is so controversial today mm-hmm. was not the real, it never was the official flag of the Confederate government. It was a, the battle flag of the Army of Northern Virginia. But um, the only time I fly that flag, of course, is to do a presentation. And right. I do put the flag up because the, the Confederacy had three, four different flags during the four years that they were you know, in existence. And so that's just part of it uh, is you have to be careful now you know, where you show these things. And if I'm in a, in a presentation in a building, I keep it away from windows and so on like that because... It's a racist symbol, and the reason it's a racist symbol is, is, is uh, I should say this. I would say 80 to 90% of the soldiers who fought for the South, fought in the Confederate Army, did not own one slave. But they were fighting for a government that endorsed slavery. And so that flag is synonymous with slavery, and that's why it's offensive today. And what makes it even more offensive is in the 1950s, 1960s, even a more racist group called the Ku Klux Klan adopted that flag as their banner. But um, I've done speeches, I, I've done presentations uh, on, on the flags. And one of the things that I will do uh, on the, when I give that presentation is I'll put three flags up. I'll put the original, the, the very first official uh, flag of the Confederacy is the stars and bars. And it's three big bars or stripes, red, white, blue. Okay. And then there's a blue canton, and there's a, seven stars in the middle of it circular and that's the seven original states the first seven that seceded from the union when the war started there was 11 states all together that would eventually secede but the first seven are on that flag and uh, i hang that up and then i don't put the one that's all on you know considered the racist symbol the one everybody is what, familiar recognizes. with i don't put that one up i put the stars and bars up i then put the uh, betsy ross flag up mm. and then i put up the current united states flag all three of them are hanging in the front. Like I'm going to do the Rotary Club or the Satoma sure. Club or whatever. I got a short presentation, and when they I'm introduced, one of the first things I'll say is, "Now, did you see the flags when you came in today?" Sure. Did any of them offend you? No, none of those flags offended me. Well, then I then I open up the Army of Northern Virginia battle flag, the which actual, is the one everybody recognizes. Yeah. And I said, would this be offensive to you as I had it up? And, of course, I get the nods of the heads. It's a racist symbol. I said, why is it a racist symbol? What's the flag of the Confederate States of America? I said, no, it never was the official flag. It was laughed by, out of the room by the Confederate Congress as looking like a pair of suspenders. Really? The guy who designed it, William oh. Forche Miles, um, he was very upset that they didn't accept his, his, uh, his flag. And, uh, well, how did it become so popular then? You know, when you ask me a question, you're going to get a lecture. Is that what you're asking for Well, right you now? know, we've got a limited time, so in, in a nutshell. Okay. What happened is William Forche Miles was placed on the flag committee when the original Confederate Congress met. Okay. And um, he had already designed this flag that everyone knows today as a racist symbol. And he was for sure that the Confederate Congress would adopt it. Well, they said it looks like a pass. Suspend us. Uh, we don't want anything to do with that. So he had to redesign the flag, and he came up with the stars and bars, like I told you. Okay. And, um, but then the stars and bars, when it's flapping in the wind, uh, it, it, it looks, uh, you can tell the difference between that and the stars and stripes, the northern flag, which is like our flag today. Mm-hmm. But on a non-windy day when that flag, the stars and bars, is hanging limp around the flagstaff, you couldn't, couldn't tell the distance from battlefield oh. ranges between that and the stars and stripes. So it, there was confusion. Friend was firing on friend. Friend was holding their fire on the enemy. And they told William Forche Miles, you have to redesign the flag. 
And so he re- redesigned the flag, and uh, then he came up with the uh, stainless banner, the second national flag. And that was basically a white field, and then the canton's a little square in the corner of the flag. And what did he put there? He put his original design there. Oh. Yeah, and so he was uh, very stubborn, and uh, the Confederate government was too involved in the war by now to make us think about part of their flag looking like a pair of suspenders. <laughs> so that was accepted. But that flag, when it hung limp on the staff, looked like a flag of surrender. You couldn't oh, see right. the canton white, on it. Sure. Or a flag of truce, so you had to redesign it again. It took him a year between each flag to de- redesign it, and the last flag looked exactly like the second one, you know, the, the, the white field with the uh, Army of Northern Virginia canton on it but then you put a big red fly on the fly edge a big red bar on the fly edge of the flag so that when it was hanging limp it didn't look like a, a, a like a flag of truce a flag of surrender okay. but um at any rate yeah i've uh, when i give this presentation back to when i was giving this presentation um i'll have those three flags hanging up the stars and bars which nobody recognizes as a confederate flag and then i have the betsy ross flag and i say why doesn't this one offend you well that was the flag of the american revolution well guess what the uh, man who was in charge of the uh, Lord Dunmore, the governor of, of Virginia, he told all slaves that belonged to patriot masters, meaning people who were fighting for their independence, run away from your masters, come to the British Army, take up weapons. We will give you weapons to go back and kill your masters, and then we will free you. The American Revolution was over slavery, too. And so that the Betsy Ross flag was fought to maintain our independence, but also to maintain slavery in this land. But no one's offended by that flag. The last one's the United States flag. Take a few stars off, and that's the flag that George Armstrong Custer flew when he was slaughtering Native American tribes. That's the flag that that flew uh, at the at uh, the Battle of Wounded Knee. That should be offensive to us too, because sins were committed under that flag too. My whole thing with this, you're talking about, you know, they want to close, uh, they want to take down, you know, the statue of Robert E. Lee, and they want to take down the statue of, of uh, Stonewall Jackson, and they want to change Washington Lee University to just Washington University because Lee fought for the Confederacy. Well, Washington had slaves. We better change Jefferson School, change the name of that because he had slaves here in Mankato, and we have Washington School. And you know, uh, to me, when you remove all those things, I understand why people are upset to see those things because some people think we're commemorating a, a dark time in our mm-hmm. history. But if you're going to teach our people, our young people today, this generation about American history, we should teach the parts of American history that we're very proud of. And we're proud of most of our history. But there are some parts of American history that we are woefully ashamed of and should be ashamed of. But you don't eliminate those things. You don't erase history. You don't get rid of those things. When you take a statue down, when you take a flag down, you're you're saying you're eliminating an opportunity, a teaching opportunity. You know, Dad, who's this guy? Who's Robert E. Lee? Well, there was a time in our country's history when a portion of the country pulled away. So you don't want to erase any part of your history, but you want to you want to uh, you want to teach all parts of your history because what's the old saying? If you don't know your history, you're going to repeat the bad parts of your history Well, that's well. what they say. I mean, and now there's talk about renaming Sibley Park. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know what? I'm going to get in trouble if I keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Because who was Sibley again? Uh, what, what well, is? yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to pass on that one because I, I've gotten in Don't trouble wanna... on that one before. Okay. No, <laughs> we'll I'm going to pass on that. Bryce, right. Bryce Denz will be a better one to talk about that. Okay. That's... You know. But um, everybody, you, you name just about anybody, they've had some parts of their past. And, of course, it's, it, that's all about the Dakota War. And Henry Sibley, um, he was uh, uh, our first state governor. 
And um, he, he was uh, instrumental in the beginning of the history of our state, but uh, he was a close friend of Little Crow during the Deco- before the Dakota War, and he was largely responsible for uh, you know, going after the Native Americans, after the Dakota people, after the war started. And so um, there's real some very strong feelings about anybody one way or the other. You know, that. I look in, and some of these, these people who we consider heroes actually did some good. That's why they're considered heroes, but the, they, along with some of the good is some of the bad. Isn't that the case? Well, like Alexander Ramsey was our first territorial governor, and Henry Silvey was our first state governor. And uh, they did a lot of good things for the state of Minnesota, but they made tons of money mm. by gleaning, gleaming money off the top uh, because they were the Native Americans, the Indian agents. You want the fastest way to get rich would be to be an Indian agent, because uh, it was it was so it was, it was a department that was so loosely governed. Uh, there weren't a lot of uh, people watching how much money actually went to the Lakota, the Indians were that should have gone. And I know that Sibley got rich, and I know that uh, uh, Ramsey. They made some a lot of money on the side, and it was at the it was at the expense of the Dakota people. Well, I want to switch gears now, and we want to talk about what's coming up is the coming fury, the dissolution of the American Union from 1859 to 1861, which is an event happening virtually this Saturday, March 27th. It, there's a 9 a.m. to noon and a 1 p.m. to 3, the virtual event, the presentation and it says costume interpreters, should I say regalia? Regalia. Regalia <laughs> interpreters and panel discussions. Tell me what that is about. Why is that important here in Mankato, a Civil War symposium? Okay, we do, you know, the, the Boy in Blue Memorial located down in Lincoln Park. Yes. At uh, Broad and Grove and, and uh, I forget what the other street is. Uh, but at any rate, um, that was a memorial that was built by um, this community. Daughters of the American Revolution and, and others. And it was to commemorate the men from Blue Earth County that went off to fight in the Civil War. Um, 682 men from Blue Earth County went off to fight in the Civil War. And it was the construction was completed in 1892. It was dedicated in 1893. Less than three decades after that, uh, it had fallen. It had been weathered. It had, uh-huh. it had been vandalized. Uh, it was hit by lightning or something. It, 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 storm damage, at least wind damage. And it really fell apart, and the city did not maintain it, and eventually it would, became an eyesore. And so Was they, it always in that location, it though? It was. Okay. And they dismantled it, and it was never rebuilt. They put up, there was a building they took down, a hotel, or an old bank, I believe it was. They took a pillar from that bank, and they made a, a, a different kind of a memorial, which is still down there. If you go down to Lincoln Park mm-hmm. now, you'll see that what that memorial, the actually boy in blue statue and the fountain was replaced with. That is still there. And um, uh, when, when was that put up then, they actually, the boy in blue the original? Yeah. Uh, 1892, the construction so was, it was finished. So it was, okay. And so by the 1920s, it had fallen into disrepair, was taken apart, and uh, used for scrap metal. Oh. And then uh, Bryce Stenzel, uh, when he was a young lad, he uh, he saw pictures of the Boy in Blue Memorial, and he said, uh, where is that? And he, he, had, he was told it doesn't exist anymore. And he decided we should get that thing going again. And then during the 125th uh 150th anniversary of the Civil War, uh, we decided let's try and raise some funds. We put a committee together called the Blue and Blue Committee, and I was a part of that, not to begin with, but later I became mm-hmm. a part of it. He and Julie Schrader and Susan Hines and later James Olson and, and uh, uh, oh, 
I'm having a brain fart right now. I can't remember everybody's name. That's okay. Jeanette Carlton and and uh, others, Don and James as well, uh, and Dave Johnson. All these people, uh, we, we put on fundraisers, and one of those fundraisers was the Civil War Symposium, and it was wow. to get people to come. It was live then before the pandemic. Right. And we gave these different presentations, and the money would go directly to the building of this, the renewing of, the, re, uh, the restoring of this memorial. Eventually, we raised over 200,000 people thanks to the, the community, mm-hmm. the people of this community, small donations, large donations, and it was rebuilt exactly 120, rededicated 123 years after the original rededication took place in 2016. And now, the part, we got an agreement with the city, and they've been wonderful. They, uh, they're going to maintain the, the, the we're going to make sure the Boy and Blue Committee is never going away. We're going to hassle, hassle, hassle okay. as soon as we start to see that that memorial is starting to fall apart. And already there's been some cracks in the statue and so on that we've had to maintain. And the city of Mankato is, uh, is, is a partner with us, and they're going to help maintain that particular uh, statue and the fountain down there. And so this memorial now is not to build it, it's to maintain it. Sure. So we have to raise money to keep the keep it in good shape and so, so on. So this Civil War Symposium virtual is is a, a fundraiser essentially to maintain the boy in blue. That's right. Between us and the committee and the city, we're going to keep this thing going for you know into perpetuity. Right. So that uh, generation and generation after that will be able to uh, to, to enjoy it. And then uh, 682 names are inscribed on the around the fountain on the outside, and uh, it's 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 a beautiful statue. People pointed out on the Mankato Memory Facebook page that the the wrong musket. Is there they got a flintlock musket and that's true it should be oh. a percussion musket it's a flintlock instead but we we rebuilt the thing to look exactly like the original did and the original had that mistake as well oh so when, so it wasn't a, a yeah, new mistake it was something that they replicated right. okay when communities across the united states were putting up memorials to their veterans there was some entrepreneur that came up with the statue that was very popular, and he made the original mistake. So these cookie cutter stat or cookie cutter statues went out all over the United States, and they're all mistaken to have. They did use some beginning of the war some flintlock muskets, but that's basically an American Revolutionary War era Has musket. Has there ever been a thought to make it? correct or not? We, we thought about making it correct, yeah. and then we decided, no, we said we were going to restore it to what it looked like before. And plus, okay. that's a conversation piece. A lot of people don't notice that. Right. You know, they go, hey, yeah. that's a flintlock. Shouldn't that be a percussion? You know. I yeah, mean, I wouldn't yeah. know the difference, yeah, exactly. obviously. Most people, people don't. You know? yeah. But that's the whole purpose of this this uh, symposium is to raise funds. And, and our theme this year is the coming fury, which means we're going to focus on the beginning of the war, the events leading up to the war, and uh, the, the first blood that was shed in the war. And so, uh, what we're going to be doing is a, one of our presentations is from Ken Foss. It's on the cost of the war. Uh, this war cost between 620,000 to 750,000 lives. That's 17 times the population of Mankato. Wow. And uh, everybody talks about the human cost of the war, but Ken is going to talk about the uh, material cost of the war as far as, I mean, animals alone. How many animals does it take? How many hides from a cow does it take to make the leather accoutrements and so on? And then how many animals are needed, like horses alone for cavalry, to to pull army wagons and so on? After the three-day battle at Gettysburg, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 1863, there were 7,000 slain men on the field. Imagine that small town and the odor, the smell. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, southern Pennsylvania. And then, but one of the things you don't hear about, there were also 3,000 slain horses strewn across that area. And uh, so that's the first thing we're going to talk about is the cost of the war, the material cost of the war. The industrial, the industry that had to be a result to to, uh, provide food, uniforms, equipment, accoutrements for all the soldiers. The second one will be my presentation, and mine's on uh, the coming fury, and it's all about all the events that led up to the Civil War. How did North and South start to hate each other? You know, how did they start to... uh, 
uh, have this uh, from sectionalism to wanting to be a separate nation. And then uh, Bryce Stenzel and Susan Hine are going to talk about um, uh, Pinkerton's uncovering. Actually, it was Kate Warren, the very first female detective uh, who uh, worked for the Pinkerton Agency. She uncovered a plot that, to assassinate Lincoln on his way from his home in Springfield, uh, Illinois, to Washington, D.C. during his inauguration. And they plot, he had to go through Baltimore. And in Baltimore, the railroad tracks did not connect all the way through town. You had to stop on one train and then take a car and go over to another railroad track. And a group of uh, people, you'd call them terrorists today, called the Plug Uglies, mm. had plotted to kill the president when he was transferring from one railroad track to the other. The Pinkerton Agency, thanks to Kate Warren, uncovered that plot, and they disguised him as he went from one railroad station uh, to the next. And so they'll be talking about that next. And then uh, James Olson, who's a veteran, um, is, is going to speak of, uh, this is called As the War Approaches, and he's going to be talking about um, um, Missouri, uh, one of the early states that fought over uh, whether they're going to be a slave state or a free state and would it belong to the North or would it, would it be going with the Union or, or seceding from the Union with the rest of the states. And it stayed a border state, and it did that because of the battles that were fought. And he's going to talk about all the events that led up to a battle called the Battle of Wilson's Creek, which the North ended up losing, but uh, we were able to keep the state uh, in the Union, and, and it did not go uh, to the South. So, in fact, he changed the name of that. His presentation is called The Mighty Mean Fought War. And that's mm, a quotation okay. from somebody... Uh, and so those will be the presentations, uh, First Blood, The Cost of the War, The Coming Fury, The Causes of the War, A Mighty Mean Fought Fight. And then the, one of the funnest parts of the day is uh, the last hour of the day, 1.30 to 2.30 or so, we have the roundtable discussion. And that's when all the participants uh, can uh, ask questions and put their two cents worth in. And we, and we all sit around and talk about what they learned earlier in the day. And, and, some, and we end up learning things from the people who are calling in, too, because you get a lot of historians that are You know, the, the nice thing about some of these virtual events is if you do have something to do, you don't, I mean, you don't have to feel bad about maybe going to do something. Let's say you have to do an errand or something. You can come back and come and go as you, as you please, which right. I've been in, in different, certain different virtual sessions. And so if you, you can't be there the whole time, I mean, it's up to you to get out, out of what you want. And because it is a fundraiser, there are some fees to be a part of this to register. Right. And I see it's by the household. $15 for household. Okay. And that's as many people, as you, you know, you can get on your home uh, and on the internet at home. And then if you want, um, there's a, a fantastic book that was written by uh, Julie Schrader and Bryce Denzel called The Boy in Blue. Oh, and, sure. And uh, it is really a high-quality publication, and it talks about the uh, the original Boy in Blue Memorial and also goes through the history of Blue Earth County and the war. And uh, that is usually a $35 book all by itself. It's a sure. high-quality uh, publication but if you want to instead of paying $15 for a household if you pay $20 you'll get that book no it says 35 excuse me a $35 you'll yeah get the 35 for the household registration plus the boy in blue book so that's a 35 so, yeah, so it's actually a really good deal if you a, do it's that a savings absolutely and it's appropriate it says for all ages everyone from kids to seniors and how does one register to be a part of this it's coming this Saturday and it starts at 9 a.m. and goes through afternoon at 3 p.m. and Right. You're going to register online at www.boyandblue.org. And once you get to that website, you'll see at the top, it'll say News and Events. Click on News and Events, and then you walk down. It's, it'll be the biggest part of that page. It'll say uh, you know, the Coming Fury 2021 Civil War Symposium. And then you just click on whether you want to do the 15 household or the... the uh, 
uh, if you want the book for thirty-five dollars, because plus, it, as you year. mentioned, it's a nonprofit organization, so it is for a fundraiser for right. them. The Civil War Symposium, the Coming Fury. We've been talking with Arn Kine, who is a, a regular reenactor, and you'll see him, like you said, talking about many, many subjects of history. Former teacher. And you just have so much knowledge. I want to have you on again sometime just to talk about other things. Like you said, you have all kinds of topics in your head, and we're out of time, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I would love to do that, and I don't have it all in my head. I'm getting old now, so I have oh. to look at my note cards quite a bit. It doesn't <laughs> all stay okay. in my head. When you put so much in the right side, some goes out the left ear, you know. And if people want to find out more about your own, if people maybe want to have you come to their school or to their, whether it's a, a club or something, how do they get a hold of you? What's you go online and go to historicalexperiences.org. And you're a nonprofit as well. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a nonprofit. Oh, but it's a dot org. It's yeah, yep. Okay, very good. Well, okay. Thank you so much, Arnkind. We appreciate it. And again, the Civil War Symposium: The Coming Fury, Dissolution of the Union Army from the years 1859 to 1861 is this Saturday, March 27th. It starts at 9 a.m. and goes through 3 p.m. A virtual event. Anybody can attend. And the presentations and those in regalia. Did I say that right? Regalia, yep, interpreters, and panel discussion. It sounds like a great thing. Go to www.boyandblue.org. Thank you so much, Arn. I appreciate your time and, and your your knowledge. It's always great to have you on. Thanks, Karen. We appreciate you have, you uh, giving us a little airtime. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.